1: At LuckyLandSlots.com, available to players in the U.S. excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to TV's Top Five, the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. I'm Leslie Goldberg, West Coast TV editor, and I'm joined by the Hollywood Reporter Chief TV Critic, Daniel Feinberg. Welcome, Dan. What up, Leslie? Every week, Dan and I will go beyond the headlines of the top TV stories and offer a deep dive into the latest news and biggest episodes of the week. Let's get started. Number one. This week, the nominations are out for the 76th Golden Globe Awards with The Assassination of Gianni Versace, American Crime Story, leading the TV pack with four, FX topping HBO, Netflix, and Amazon among the networks. The Hollywood Foreign Press Association continues its love affair with big stars and nominations for Julia Roberts, Amy Adams, Michael Douglas, Jim Carrey. And the small voting group continues to, to celebrate rookies with Pose and Killing Eve both breaking through with nominations in the dramas category and Carey and Douglas' The Kaminsky Method in the comedy field. Dan, the later isn't setting very well with you, is it? It's just
0: the easiest thing to kind of point at and be a little bit, concerned by because I actually liked the Kaminsky method I I think that it reflects on Chuck Laurie's attempts to expand what he does with comedy series it has a lot of the effective character-driven drama and comedy that makes mom one of my favorite broadcast comedies only it does it in a single cam format which he's been trying to work with so I, I don't hate the Kaminsky method on the other hand I look at that list of nominees and Kaminsky Method is the one that to me is the easiest to go, wait a second, why is that one there and Atlanta is not there for series? Because the gap in sort of aspiration and achievement between a comedy that sets fairly low goals but achieves them and a comedy that sets wildly dazzling, magnificent goals and also still mostly achieves them, to me that that puts Atlanta a comfortable bit ahead. And so I'm a little bit peeved by that. I understand, though, there are people who have that kind of feeling that their comedies ought to make them laugh and that uh, some people feel like Atlanta this most recent season did many, many things. It just wasn't necessarily always funny. Me, even in its darkest moments, uh, you know, Teddy Perkins made me laugh consistently start to finish while I was also being creeped out and weirded out. So that's that's sort of where I have issues with people saying, oh, maybe they just like to laugh. I laugh a lot in Atlanta. But what can you do?
1: <laughs> and you're talking about the best TV comedy or musical category that includes Barry, NBC's The Good Place, Showtime's Kidding, Netflix's Kaminsky Method, and last year's winner, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel.
0: Yeah, and I think that Kidding some people will take exception to because it is a polarizing comedy. It also is a comedy that stars a movie star, and so I, I'm not the least bit surprised that Jim Carrey got his nomination. That one's easy. Also, Showtime does play the Golden Globes game better than just about anybody, and I give them full credit for that. You know, they got recognition last year, for example, for Smelth, which might have been a difficult thing to do Uh, in this case i think jim carrey made it easy on one level but kidding is a weird and off-putting show it happens to be a show that when it's good i love very much and so i think that's another example of a show which has really high aspirations sometimes it doesn't always achieve them but i think that when kidding is good it it really does belong in this pack so I, i like that it's also a show that no one watched and despite the whole Jim Carrey's movie star thing. So maybe this will get people to watch it, and trust me, 90% of the people who watch it are gonna hate it. But those 10%, there's nothing wrong with the show that's a 10 percenter So I hope people watch it because some people will love that show.
1: So two things that I wanna go back to. First, when you say Showtime plays this Golden Globes game very well, what do you mean by that?
0: Well, all I mean is, and this is very different from the Emmys, where there are thousands of voters, And so you can't necessarily target them in exactly the same way. With the Golden Globes, it's, I believe the number that everyone keeps using is 91, whether that's really the number or not. Let's just use it as a number. There are 91 quote-unquote journalists from around the world, but you really and truly can target each and every one of them. You can make sure that they all have seen your show. You can make sure that if you have... Frankly, if you have an attractive young female lead or even a studly young male lead that if they get out there and press the flesh, and I don't mean that in a dirty way, I mean that in a shaking hands and smiling and sitting around a luncheon table, you can play a game where you get awareness for shows. And that makes it even weirder when something doesn't break through. So like looking at Little Drummer Girl on AMC, really solid miniseries, follow-up to Night Manager, which was a huge awards player, stars Alexander Sarsgaard, who won last year for Big Little Lies. So the HFPA likes him. Florence Pugh, who's an attractive and really brilliant young actress, who is exactly the kind of actress who Golden Globe voters like going, OK, here's your first award or your first major award. We're giving it to you. Remember us forever. And yet shut out. So it, it can go both ways and you can be utterly flummoxed when something doesn't happen but no i I think there is definitely there's a game to the golden globes that is not the same with the emmys
1: so if kidding and kaminsky method are, are questionable what's your field look like for best comedy
0: what's my field my field's got weird stuff in it my field probably has like baskets in it or something my field has the end of the bleeping world from netflix my my field's got really weird things but my field does probably have barry it does probably have the good place in you know in an ideal world um and i think the good place is such a a fun story in the sense that this is a show that a is pretty much the only thing network tv has at this moment broadcast tv has at this moment if you look at the nominations uh, you know you're looking at those two nominations murphy brown candace bergen and deborah messing for will and grace and that is it for broadcast this year. It is embarrassing. There
1: is a total of four nominations among the broadcast networks, three for NBC, one at CBS, and that's, again, for Candace Bergen for CBS there. And, you know, which takes us right into the big snubs now. I mean, This Is Us, broadcast TV's biggest drama, completely shut out.
0: And I am surprised by that. I think that it does, to some degree, reflect a loosening of attention, a, a slight diminishing of energy, excitement, buzz, hype, however you want to quantify it, Uh, or alternatively, the show's not as good, if that's a different way to put it. You know, keep in mind, at this time last year, when it was nominated for things, we still didn't know how Jack had died. You know, there were still all of these huge, outstanding questions that were the show's hook. Now, it's less so, and that doesn't mean in any way at all that Sterling K. Brown has ceased to be great, or that when the show gives any of these actors the chance to shine, you know, basically Jack's death episode did happen during this calendar year. So that
1: was the big Super Bowl episode. Exactly,
0: so Mandy Moore, she certainly could have been nominated and was not, but I I think it's just a, a slight diminishing of hype and then all of the shiny new things. And that is the thing about Golden Globe voters is they get distracted when you put new things in front of them. I would also say that the new things were nominated for the most part happened to be better so if you know if getting pose into that field is the price for losing this is us well i'm gonna take pose in that field any day of the week i'm gonna take killing eve in that field i'm you know i would take homecoming i would even take bodyguard yeah and for the americans which had never been nominated for drama series before here's a show in its sixth season suddenly golden globe voters are like okay fine we'll say it's one of the best five dramas on tv sure you know as opposed to the critics have been saying they're going yes we've been trying to tell you that now for five years where have you all been i expect this is going to be somewhat similar to the emmys where it's going to just be an honor to be nominated
1: i mean and it's kind of following a similar trajectory that we saw with friday night lights where another critical favorite that really didn't get any kind of awards recognition until its final season
0: and going back quickly to the good place there's another one where when it premiered Critics were like, oh, you got to watch this, you got to watch this. And, And small audiences obviously were as well, but it has gotten slightly more awards attention each year. And so that's a good thing. And the show was just renewed for another season this week. So, you know, it's all these are all good things and any attention is nice and helpful. I think maybe there are smaller comedies or things that we're calling comedies that maybe could have used that more you know i think of something like vita on stars which to me feels very much like a golden globe's kind of show in the sense that again you can pitch it directly to these 91 people you can make it clear here's a special little show that no one watches and if you tell people this is a special show you get to be the people from now on who get to say oh we made vita and so i'm i'm a little disappointed cuz stars is another network that traditionally has played the golden globe game very well and this year, other than one actress, uh, lead actress nomination for Katrina Ball. Yes, I right. butchered
1: that. <laughs> Apologies to all the Outlander fans. Yes,
0: so she's the exception this year, but that's too bad because Stars has more and more good programming each year, and there's only so much. And also, with only five nominees per category, I, I don't, I don't understand how in this day and age you feel like you can get away with that. But whatever, you know, we we have debates. My my colleague Tim Goodman and I, you know, we're we're always saying ten that's one of tim's big drums he likes to bang and yeah five feels really insignificant I, there there's a lot more good tv yeah
1: speaking of which better call Saul completely shut up
0: yeah that's that angers me because it's it's just not in any way reflective of how good that show is and how reliably good that show is and you know i hate to and i did this a couple times in the article i wrote about the golden globe nominations and i'll keep doing it I, I don't understand how you nominate Jason Bateman over Bob Odenkirk, that that to me is, is such a miss. I understand something like Richard Madden or Stephen James because they're both in that young actor who the Golden Globes want to coronate. So I see why they're there, but Jason Bateman doesn't need it. And his performance on Ozark doesn't warrant it to me. But boy, I'm happy for Billy Porter.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. So happy. And for Pose and the entire Pose team. Stephen Canals is that show is one of my favorite of the year. And I think Billy Porter is a name that that everyone should know. Pose is such a groundbreaking show. It features the largest cast of transgender characters being played by trans actors. And it's just it's to me, it's one of the best shows of the past year. Not that I'm a critic, but (laughs) what it does for inclusion and visibility should be noted, and that this recognition is a breakthrough in that regard.
0: I agree. It's a a very, very, very good show, and it's a show that only had eight episodes in the first season. You can catch up really, really easily, and it gets better as it goes along. And as you get towards the closing episodes, you see without any question why Billy Porter is in this field. He, he, is, he is fantastic. Broadway audiences already knew him from Kinky Boots and whatnot. He is a tremendous actor. And I, I was a little surprised to see him, honestly, in the, in the lead category. I think if you go to the end of the season, you see how he could be counted as a lead. To me, probably he still feels more like a supporting actor a great, great supporting actor, but whatever it is, he deserves to be there.
1: To me, he's the centerpiece of that show, Billy and MJ Rodriguez, who is just absolutely incredible in that show. And and that finale, without spoiling anything here, is probably one of the episodes of television that made me smile the most.
0: It is a great episode and people should check out Pose. And that's that's what the Globes are ideally good for is, is highlighting some good television. And even if they missed some things and in some case missed some things wildly. I, I do think they they recognized a fair amount of good TV that people could check out. So I'll take that.
1: So big takeaway. Is it time for the Globes to expand to 10? Oh, yes. All right. Moving on.
0: Number two.
1: Speaking of the Golden Globes, lots of news on the hosting front this year. Sandra O oh and Andy Sandberg are going to host the Golden Globes for NBC. And over on ABC, Kevin Hart maybe possibly still unclear if he will indeed still remain your host of the oscars over on abc
0: as of the moment at which we are recording this podcast i don't want to give away too much of the magic but let's just say that as of this exact second looking at my watch kevin hart is still slated to host the academy awards on the other hand, if I were a betting man, I would be mighty, mighty skeptical. Uh, you want to you wanna sum up the news story on this one, Leslie?
1: Kevin Hart finds himself on the hot seat right now. Some very anti-gay tweets that he tweeted from 2010, 2011, and, and these are numerous, have resurfaced now that he has been tapped to host the Oscars. And the tweets are problematic, first and foremost, and, and I don't want to undersell it, but in a bigger picture his response to the backlash is what I'm having the most problem with in that his response is not a response. It's a not It's not an apology. It's, I'm happy with who I am. There's no apology in, in here whatsoever, and it's what makes me think that there's absolutely zero chance that Hart, given the controversy, will wind up as host of the Oscars, especially since it's airing on ABC, which is the same network that fired Roseanne Barr after her racist tweet.
0: Yeah, the, the idea that... ABC would hire anybody for anything without having some intern in Mickey Mouse gloves go through every tweet they ever made in their lifetime with fine-tooth comb and make sure that there's nothing even vaguely untoward is ridiculous and verging on offensive because they should do that. That being said, this is not a new accusation against Kevin Hart and this is not something that has just been limited to his tweets this is something that was also part of his stand-up comedy for years the fact that it is maybe not something that he has been tweeting about or talking about in stand-up for seven or eight years is absolutely possible and the fact that he or the possibility that he has changed could have changed has evolved as a person is entirely reasonable people do do that On the other hand, there had to have been a conversation with somebody at ABC, somebody at the Academy and Kevin Hart, wherein the conversation was broached when these tweets come out, when they are recirculated, when you have to answer for these things that you said, what is your response going to be? And his response was an Instagram video lying down in bed without a shirt, the most I-don't-give-a-bleep presentation in the world for something that matters to people. And if it doesn't matter to you, singular dear listener, muzzle-tough for you on that. Don't dispute the fact that it matters to people. And if you're Kevin Hart, don't dispute that the presentation of this entire non-apology, there is no word that says sorry, there is no word that says I was wrong, there is no word that says this was hateful and wrong and I have matured and learned. No, his statement was, it gets better, for me, I'm doing fine. And that is beyond unacceptable. And I think there were ways that this could have been detonated or diffused previously, this makes it much, much worse.
1: There's just zero accountability here. And I think that's what he needs to do at some point. I mean, this is call up Glad, you know, get some sensitivity training, make a donation, apologize. You know, as a member of the LGBTQ community, it's infuriating. Like the the lack of accountability, this is, you know, from one community to another, you have to respect the struggle. And if you're going to use words like you you can't use an entire you can't vilify an entire community but by the way that you use the you know words like gay it's just you just don't do that
0: there's got to be for someone in the halls at abc a horrible feeling of deja vu here from the roseanne thing and i don't i don't know how long they can wait and if the solution is as as you say, Leslie, you know, get someone from glad on the phone immediately, this sure as heck, someone should have been on the phone, but I think also that a b c needs to have a a someone respectable as a journalist, get Barbara Walters or whoever also there to do an interview where they ask inquiring probing questions of Kevin Hart, and he plays sincere for ten minutes or fifteen minutes it, it, there has to be that it can't be. It can't be this. This was not a solution at all.
1: Absolutely, this this hurt him more than anything.
0: So, uh, how about Andy Samberg and Sandra Oh though?
1: I'm here for it. <laughs> every second, every moment, I am here for it. I think it's a great pairing. I think they're both funny. They're both intelligent. They have a lot to say. Their shows are both terrific. Dan, you're the critic. What do you think?
0: No, I think it's I think it's a good pick. I think it's I think it is not a pick that was going to boost the audience for the Golden Globes. And I don't know at this exact point in time if you can do that with one of these award shows, Uh, if you can actually find a host who is going to magically put the ratings to the roof. So what they can do is if there's good writing, they can make a show that people might actually enjoy watching, because as we saw at the Emmys when they presented together and were one of the best parts of an otherwise dismal telecast, If you put those two together, their chemistry is really easy and they're just funny together and they, they riff off each other and they're good. So let them do that. Don't overdo it. That's always a problem these shows have is too much of the host. But I think they can do a really good job. I think it's a good choice. What is your sense of how easy or hard it was to end up with these two?
1: From everything that I understand, is it, that this was a long process. I think Andy was a natural choice. Look, Brooklyn Nine Nine is produced by NBC Studio Universal Television. It's now actually back on NBC after Fox canceled it. Brooklyn Nine Nine returns in January for its new season on NBC. It's a slam- Andy was a slam dunk from the start. From the minute that Brooklyn moved to NBC, there's almost a no doubt in my mind that it was that Andy. That it was going to be Andy. My my guess is that it was going to be Andy Samberg and Kristen Bell from The Good Place. But, you know, I think Sandra's an interesting choice. I think that all parties involved had some trouble finding people to who wanted to do it. But I think Sandra's is smart enough to know what she's getting into, and I think like you like we've said, I think it's a good pairing.
0: I think she's very clearly hilarious, and I think that how funny she is on Killing Eve is one of the underrated things about. That show, the fact that it has been presented for award purposes as a drama, to me it just as easily could have gone as a comedy. I understand why they chose drama, but to me it is as funny a new show as there is on TV. And it's because she's extremely funny. I've seen multiple people on Twitter suggest that the perfect hosts for the Oscars should actually now be Jodie Comer and Terry Crews. You know, that way you get one Killing Eve co-star and one Brooklyn Nine-Nine star.
1: I'd be here for that, too.
0: That That is not going to happen. <laughs> On the other hand, yes, I would be curious how that would go. Terry Crews hosted the uh, Television Critics Association Awards a couple of years ago and co-hosted with Miss Piggy and did a wonderful job. So uh, everyone should know that, that Terry Crews can do the job.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, in in a what, heartbeat.
0: Whatever the job is, Terry Crews can do the job.
1: The entire cast of Brooklyn Nine-Nine could do pretty much anything that you ask of them.
0: I don't know. Hitchcock and Scully?
1: All right, you may have a point.
0: All right, enough of this. Number three.
1: This week, Netflix shelled out what sources say is between seventy and eighty million dollars to continue streaming Friends through 2019, after its current deal with Warner Brothers was due to expire.
0: Which produced a little bit of agitation on the interwebs, didn't it?
1: And that's an understatement. I mean, the new deal—it's it's super interesting because Friends is considered a slam dunk to move on to Warner Media's forthcoming streaming service, which is expected to launch in the fourth quarter of 2019. What makes that interesting is part of this deal, which I'm told is, a, is for multiple years, will give Warner Brothers the right to pull friends from Netflix or to keep it on both platforms non-exclusively for a rate to be determined later. I mean, this is a prime example of the streaming wars, of what companies like Warner Brothers and Disney are doing to battle the beast that has become Netflix.
0: In your opinion, because there's really no way of knowing is this something that netflix needed to do
1: <laughs> i think it does two things i think first ne- friends is from everything that we've been told is one of the their most watched acquired shows it's probably i would guess within the top five of all the stream shows that they have on netflix in terms of acquired content meaning non-originals and the second thing it does is it, it makes people happy i mean look i'm someone that that watches repeats of friends every night on nick at night every single night but for For a generation of cord cutters, this is literally the only place – Netflix is the only place that you can stream Friends. So it it does a certain amount of goodwill and it makes – it's probably going to keep their subscribers happy. I mean you saw the social media backlash. There were tons of people that were threatening to cancel their Netflix memberships if they couldn't watch Friends. God, I wonder how
0: that makes – you feel if you're Ted Sarandos and you're spending between six and eight billion dollars a year on original programming and you cancel dozens of shows and for the most part no one does more than shrug I think in the case of some of the Marvel shows people have been disappointed in case of some of the Marvel shows people have just laughed you know ha 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 why did you even give us a second season of Iron Fist but suddenly the suggestion that Friends a show that's in syndication and is fairly easy to watch in that format might be leaving it it really did cause people to blow up and that's got to be the kind of thing where you're like well why am i bothering to make all of these fine seasons of fine television shows why am i expensive television expensive television shows like why pony up for something like the crown season three if really all i need is repeats of gilmore girls or golden girls or something that doesn't involve g's in the title
1: At the same time, you can buy an entire the entire 10 season run of Friends on DVD for less than it costs for a year of Netflix.
0: But people don't think that way in the same sense that I remember back in college when there were times that were Simpsons o'clock. And I would be guaranteed, if I was studying at 6.30, I knew there was a Simpsons repeat. At 7, I knew there was a Simpsons repeat. And then I would stop studying or doing what I was doing at 11, and that's when another Simpsons repeat was. And I was programming everything I was doing around those three Simpsons slots because I needed to clear my brain. And now nobody thinks that way, and I don't know if necessarily that's a sane way for a human being to think, but it still is a way that I feel like a lot of us grew up looking at our TV and at our schedules and and no one does that anymore. Now everyone needs it so that if you want to spend that entire block of time watching repeats of Friends, you can do that. And apparently, if someone suggests that they might take away that ability, people will Go nutty.
1: I mean, I remember, you know, my college experience was watching Friends originally on Thursday nights. Study up until Friends was on, take a break for Friends, have dinner after it aired, and then come back for ER at 10.
0: And that was back when we would watch TV shows in half hour increments. Didn't know what binging was back then. So your understanding is that this will be for a a multi-year thing or could be for a multi-year thing? It could
1: be for multiple years, or it could be just for 2019. Warner Brothers has the right to to basically pick up their toys and take them home and have friends stream exclusively on their own platform, which would make it something that people must have. I mean, that's going to be a place where ideally all the Harry Potter stuff is going to be. They've got all the HBO's content. They're going to have three different tiers of content. I mean, this is all part of a larger push. Like, these are the studios that helped build Netflix into a behemoth, and now they're basically taking all their stuff and going home. With Disney Plus launching next year, you're starting to see a lot of these Marvel shows be canceled as those two companies continue to duke it out. And Warner Brothers is is starting to do the same. It wouldn't surprise me to see a show like Gilmore Girls, with that library, go away. And then you don't forget, Apple's going to be coming out in 2019 as well. And and if the rumors about how they're going to distribute content free to subscribers, meaning you have an iPhone in your pocket, you're going to get Apple scripted content for free. That's a billion subscribers.
0: Yeah, I think I think Apple is going to be a big player depending on how they actually do the thing they're doing. And it's remarkable that we've been talking about Apple doing original programming for several years now, and we don't have any more answers i don't feel like than we we did
1: we will next year 2019 they're going to actually start unspooling some content and I'm, i'm told that the morning show drama with reese witherspoon and jennifer aniston will be one of the first released or among the first released
0: looking forward to it
1: that takes us to our fourth topic of the week the big news headlines
0: number four
1: one of the big stories this week that caught my eye is hulu's investment in the john grisham universe what they're doing is kind of interesting it's very innovative They're developing two series, The Rainmaker and Rogue Lawyer, both based on the author's books, that will function both independently and exist in the same world and intersect. Um, The goal is to have multiple shows in the same universe that will follow suit. And it came shortly after Hulu announced that it was teaming with Game of Thrones author George R. R. Martin to develop his wildcard series with two shows in the works as part of that potential front.
0: Finish the book, George. Sorry, I had to say that contractually.
1: Just give me the final season, HBO. That too. What Hulu's doing is is follows kind of the Netflix model that they set up with Marvel, where you've got multiple series in the same universe, and you're looking to really lure subscribers with IP. And then you have
0: Netflix just paid how much money for the roll Doll universe as well? In
1: the nine-figure range. And they did the same thing for, for The Chronicles of Narnia. And over at Amazon, they're doing Lord of the Rings. It's the same thing. And that that could be, again, a multiple show universe too.
0: Universes are confusing to me. All I understand is that they add things that i have to watch where if i don't watch them other parts of the carefully aligned lattice work fall apart and that was already part of the problem with the marvel uh, universe on netflix is that is that if i didn't have the patience to sit through a second season of iron fist there was a possibility that i might not fully understand the next season of luke cage and so i guess to some degree they solved that problem by canceling things but even still it's the same thing again with the various Marvel, sh- not Marvel shows, the DC shows rather on the CW where they're getting ready next week for their latest big crossover event. And that's gonna force me to remember why I stopped watching Arrow because that's the one that I'm 15 episodes behind on. And
1: ABC is doing it with Grey's Anatomy and spin-off Station 19. When those two shows crossover, you missed one. You, you don't really understand what's happening on the flagship.
0: It's a challenge. Just the money that's being tossed around is remarkable. <laughs>
1: Which takes us to our fifth segment, What to Watch. Dan, you're up. I mean, you've been up this whole time, but <laughs> this is your time to shine. Let's get to the critics corner.
0: Number five.
1: This week, the highly anticipated second season of Amazon's The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel debut. Dan, walk us through your review.
0: That is the thing that I recommend people watch this weekend. I understand it is not a particularly outside-of-the-box thing to be recommending to you. It is uh, last year's Golden Globe winner for Best Comedy Series and Emmy winner for Comedy Series. And it is... It's one of the most pleasant and pleasurable shows to watch on TV unless you're allergic to Amy Sherman Palladino's patter. And I know some people are. I know some people get viscerally nervous listening to her characters talk because they talk so fast and the syncopated rhythms just it becomes grating in in ways that people cannot deal with and i don't necessarily know those people are wrong because everyone's got their own tolerance but to me when the marvelous mrs mazel is humming it is just a fun and happy show to watch on TV and in a world with so much darkness and agitation in the news and everywhere else, it is so nice to just watch people being funny and to watch people being witty and catty and urbane and intelligent with each other. And Rachel Brosnahan is wonderful, Alex Borstein is so good. And the supporting cast is fantastic, every bit of it. This new season gives a lot more time to Tony Shaloub and Marin Hinkle as the main character's parents. And they're rather good actors, as people might know. Giving more time to Tony Shalhoub is not going to hurt anyone. And yeah, it's, it's just... A wonderful show when it's humming. How
1: many episodes have you seen now?
0: I've seen five of ten, and I will be making it my weekend plan to to finish it up. But they sent out five before the start of the season. And as fans of Gilmore Girls know already, you can tell on an Amy Sherman Palladino show very quickly whether it's an Amy Sherman Palladino episode or whether it's her husband Daniel Palladino Fans just have a way of hearing it. Daniel Palladino understands some of the rhythms of what Amy does, but for some reason, he he rarely gets the heart exactly right. So his shows are like Amy's shows, only slightly off, just very slightly, but they're still very, very good. And then you can also tell when someone else entirely wrote or directed any of the episodes, and sometimes those episodes just feel like total misses, and that's too bad. But... Of the first five episodes that I've seen, three were written and directed by Amy Sherman Palladino, and they were my three favorite. And the one one that was Daniel Palladino writing and directing was my fourth favorite. And the one that wasn't was my fifth. But I I enjoyed it.
1: Through the five episodes that you've seen, do you think it's avoided the sophomore slump?
0: For the most part, yes. I, I think that one of the good things about only having done eight episodes in the first season and 10 episodes now is that it hasn't overextended itself yet. And it hasn't fully gone into contortions to elongate itself. And that's always the problem with TV that everybody talks about is that you find something that works and you keep doing it, even if it is at the cost of momentum. And I don't think that at least in these early episodes, there's much evidence of that. It Does the show still have more interest in those supporting characters than I do? Yes, and the show knows why it wants to keep those characters around. I, I assume Amy Sherman Palladino could tell you the reason why Joel needs to be in this world still. Perhaps because he's the father of her children. Perhaps because they truly do love each other, and and he's got an arc that he has to go through. And when he does, we're going to be hugely gratified by the changes that character is going to go through. It could happen. I, I don't know. But yeah, I I think it is doing... Very well to start its second season. I also felt the same way about Handmaid's Tale, which by its finale had already either A, exhausted and torn to pieces a lot of fans or some of the things in that finale of the second season caused some people to check out. So a show like this can go south so easily with one wrong decision. But for now, it's going well.
1: Is there anything else you recommend as we wrap things up in this episode?
0: This is kind of a slow week, and it's also coming towards the end of the season. So basically, people should be going through all of their favorite TV critic top tens.
1: <coughs> Shameless is, plug.
0: Mine is not out yet, but it will be out next week, and we will also discuss it in a future podcast. But yeah, I think this is a good time to be doing that. So, But in terms of other new shows, you have second season of Counterpart returning. It remains perhaps a little more confusing and convoluted than necessarily I want it to be, but J.K. Simmons really is giving one of the great, strangely unrecognized performances on TV. Uh, that that he has not gotten awards attention for this show is bizarre to me. Uh, this is such a he, he's an Oscar winning actor playing two roles on a premium cable show. How is he not in Golden Globe and award conversations? He should be. So that returns this weekend on Stars. So that's one that people should check out. And then there are a bunch of shows that have been kicking around for a couple weeks that people should catch up on you should catch up on f is for family on netflix you should catch up on amc's little drummer girl i need to catch up on showtime's escape at Danamora. so basically there's too much tv even for those of me who watch it for a living to keep up with so i don't know how human beings do
1: it Well, that sounds like a good place to end it. Thank you for tuning in to TV's Top 5, the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. Dan and I will be back next week with our second episode. So make sure to subscribe on Apple and your various podcast platforms.
0: Thanks for listening and we'll see you soon.
1: It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash.
0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. group void work prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.